In this episode of the NOAA Ocean Podcast, we revisit an interview on meteor tsunamis, large waves that are fueled by air pressure disturbances like thunderstorms. Let's dive into the research with Dr. Greg Dusick, Senior Scientist with NOAA's National Ocean Service. And don't forget to check out our show notes with a link to the full episode. Let's start with a definition of a meteor tsunami. Yeah, so they're, I mean, they're just what they sound like, meteorologically driven tsunami waves. So, in other words, instead of tsunamis driven by an earthquake or an underwater landslide, they're driven by the weather. And specifically, typically fast-moving storm systems, which tend to, to cause a wave on the ocean surface. Um, and that wave, in some cases, can reach several meters in height. Um, so the, their similarities with seismic tsunamis or the more traditional tsunamis are that the, the waves are similar. In other words, they're not like the waves you see at the beach, which might be 10 seconds long. These tend to be anywhere from a couple minutes to two hours long. So they're relatively you know, long duration rises and fall of water level. So the waves are similar to tsunami waves, seismic tsunami waves, but how do meteor tsunamis differ from what you call traditional tsunamis? When you think about, I think when a lot of people think about, hear the word tsunami, they immediately think to like the Japanese tsunami that occurred a number of years ago where, you know, it's just a devastating impact. And really those are, those seismic tsunamis are oceanic global events, right? They impact in some cases across the entire globe. With meteor tsunamis, there's just not that same amount of energy in the wave. And so often they might affect just one harbor or one estuary. So they can be very localized. Um, and they also tend to not be as large because you don't have that same amount of energy in the ocean. So, so it's really those, those more rare and unique events which might occur again you know, once a year or maybe less frequently that we're interested in in terms of a potential hazard. How much did we know about meteor tsunamis before you did your new study? We've known a little bit about meteor tsunamis over the past, I'd say, 20 years or so. Um, even as early as 1954, there was a documented event of a meteor tsunami in the Great Lakes. And it was reportedly on the order of 10 feet high and actually ended up causing seven deaths near Chicago. And there's been some other recent examples on the east coast of the U.S., one in Daytona Beach in 1992. It was right around July 4th, and there was a, a wave that people said was about 10 feet high and apparently damaged over 100 vehicles and caused 75 or more injuries to people on the beach. And what did you discover in your study? So we found on the order of about 25 meteor tsunamis per year occur along the U.S. East Coast, which, you know, I think going into this, I would have thought to see, you know, maybe a handful each year. So we were surprised to see that, you know, they occur quite frequently. I think the important caveat with that is the vast majority of those are small. So 90% of the events we found were under about a foot and a half. So things that probably aren't going to really cause much of a problem. When you look to potential hazardous events, those were, you know, probably say about two feet or more. Those might happen once a year or so. So events that might cause damage or injury are a little less frequent. But still, you know, about every year or so you could have one of those types of events. So are, are these events distributed along the U.S. East Coast, or do some regions see meteor tsunami events more often than others? Certain locations along the East Coast tend to see events more than others. In particular, along the Carolinas, tended to see the most events kind of on the order of seven, eight per year in some cases. And part of that is 
just the location of our instrumentation. So some of our gauges might be more protected and might not observe events as easily. On the North Carolina coast, most of our gauges are out on piers and things like that. And so they're more apt to see events that that occur in the open ocean. Uh, But then also a lot of what determines where we see these are, you know, how weather systems are propagating. And it just happens to be that North Carolina is exposed to summertime thunderstorms, which can drive events, wintertime storms like nor'easters, which can drive events, and then tropical storms. So all the different storm forcings, you know, readily occur along the Carolina coast, which is one of the reasons we think we see them there more often than, than other places. But we're mostly worried about those events that cause waves over a couple of feet, right? Yeah, that's right. So what we propose is that events over about two feet um, are where you start worrying about potential impacts. So that might be in the summertime, you know, that's people on and around the water could be impacted, uh, which we've seen in past events. And in, say, during wintertime or during a winter storm or during a tropical storm where people aren't really out at the beach, then the impact starts becoming, do we see additional flooding caused by these events? Do we see additional erosion caused by these events? So it's more of a contributing factor to, you know, bad weather and large Uh, ocean events that are already occurring. And that's a wrap. Check out our show notes for the full episode and subscribe to us in your favorite podcast player.